welcome to episode number three of the Contrarian Marketing Podcast, where we give you ideas you might not be thinking about. Today, we're debating whether LinkedIn is the next big social network beyond professional communities. This is important. The social media landscape is changing. TikTok is on the rise. Meta's growth is slowing down. And Twitter is, well, um, you know. So the question is, can LinkedIn reinvent itself? And what does it mean for marketers? Getting attention and traffic in 2022 is either hard or expensive. One effective solution that I found to this problem is Stacker Studio, because they provide a ton of newsworthy stories to top publishers like SFGate, Chicago Tribune, Miami Herald, and more. One thing that I love about Stacker Studio is that you get massive reach and link returns for every campaign. And where else is that really possible these days? I've seen Stacker campaigns growing clients' traffic by over 30% within a few months. Go to stacker.studio dot com slash contrarian to get 20% off of your first month for your first stacker campaign. That's studio.stacker.com forward slash contrarian. And now on to the show. Welcome to episode number three of the contrarian marketing podcast. First episode got massive resonance, super proud of that. I think we're doing okay, uh, maybe better than okay. But it is Thanksgiving week. Are you ready for lots of turkey? And what do you think about Thanksgiving in general? Thanksgiving is great. It's a great time with family. But the big thing for marketers is Black Friday. What do you think? You think it's, do you think Black Friday still matters? Is it like a marketing holiday or is it just a gimmick you put in your ads? Yeah, it's... It's it's tricky, right? What what I've noticed, so you know, I'm I'm a data guy, and what I notice is when you go to Google Trends and you look for Black Friday, the search demand over time is actually going down, right? Obviously, it spikes once a year, and you see that every spike is getting smaller year over year, and I think that has to do with that um, it's less about a single day or maybe even a single weekend, and it has become much more about a month or maybe even the whole year. By the way. Fun fact, uh, same thing uh, happens with uh, Christmas shopping. What do you think? I think it's way overplayed. I think the whole idea of deals, like if, if a retailer has something they want to push, they'll have a deal whenever. They'll make like a, you know, a Memorial Day sale or they'll make up a sale. You know, like you see all these retailers making up sales. It started with uh, Alibaba doing Singles Day and then Amazon copied them with Prime Day. And now, I don't know, is there a Macy's Day or a Nordstrom Day? Like, there's no reason not to have it. So it, it kills the whole idea of Black Friday. I think, you know, I think people still want to think there's special deals and maybe Walmart will have a single TV that's like 75% off. But that TV is like last year's model and they can put it on sale, you know, two weeks ago or a month ago. It doesn't really matter. I, I was drove by Walmart yesterday and I didn't see anybody with any tents. So years ago, you used to have, you know, three days before Black Friday, people would be in a tent. So let's see. I know this is we're, this is going to air after Black Friday. So I don't want to put ourselves into a corner. Maybe this Black Friday is going to be the biggest Black Friday ever. And there's you know, going to be all out war in Walmart. And people are going to go chasing those TVs we don't know about yet. But just in case, I, I, my prediction is this Black Friday is going to be eh, regular Black Friday. I'm actually with you there, uh, if I may agree with you for once. Uh, I think also a lot of products are actually increased in price before some of these holidays, and then they're sold as a markup or as a discount, oh, yeah. while in actuality, that's just a play. And that actually, I think that's actually dangerous and confusing. And me as a consumer, when I find that out, I lose trust in the brand. So uh, I would I would strongly recommend not to do that. 
And then of course, you know, another very interesting thing about this year's Black Friday is the question, which products are going to get the most sales? Because uh, we're just coming out of over two years of pandemic and people staying at home and a lot of people yeah. bought TVs and they bought things and electronics. So the question is, are they going to buy new stuff? Probably not. So what are going to be the top sellers of uh, this year? I don't know if you have any, any uh, thoughts on that. I don't know, but it's they push Black Friday on everything. Like I, I, every single app I log into has got their Black. I mean, it's days before Black Friday. It's still like Black Friday update on pricing. If you haven't logged into the Uber app, I don't know if Uber's having a Black Friday sale. So who knows? I mean, it, it could be like a, a T-shirt is going to be like the you know most sold item this year. But you're right, people did buy a lot of stuff over the last couple of years, and you know, obviously the economy is tightening as we talked about in our first episode, and that changes demand. And maybe you don't want to buy extra stuff that you don't need. And then there were also, of course, supply chain issues and the things weren't available. So people bought things they didn't really need and they paid more money than they want. So who knows? I think this will be an interesting Black Friday. It's the first post-pandemic Black Friday, real post-pandemic Black Friday. So let's see. The post-post-pandemic Black Friday. Another thing that's new to me is that I have a lot of friends who say they don't really like Turkey. Are you pro or, or con Turkey? I'm neutral Turkey. I think I'm going to be there in the same camp with you, um, which is probably the last time of this episode that I'm going to be in the same camp with you. Enough agreeing. We're going to jump into our coin flip and see who takes which side for today's topic, which is about LinkedIn. And the question, is LinkedIn the next hot social network beyond professional communities? So, so Eli, it's your both turn. both sides. I mean, I think we're both massive fans of LinkedIn. LinkedIn did this campaign Oh, when was it? I don't know. Eight years ago, maybe, where they gave out a badge for which percentage, which percentile of LinkedIn you were. And I was like in the first percentile of LinkedIn because I joined in 2006. So whichever side I get here, I love LinkedIn. I spend a ton of hours on LinkedIn. We're both big fans of LinkedIn. So one of us is going to be super disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> one of us. And we're about to find out. Uh, what do you pick, Eli? Heads or tails? I mean, the odds of it being tails again is 50%. So let's do it. <laughs> uh, just for the for all the listeners, uh, we have a coin flip on our screens. The coin shows tails right now. Eli picked tails again. Uh, so let me flip this thing. Just flipped. Still flipping. And we have tails. Jeez. All right. Cool. Okay, Eli. This one goes to you. Last time I won, I uh, just want to point that out. Uh, but I think this is yours to open. So uh, yeah, what's, what's your take on the, on the question? I really want to hear you promote LinkedIn. So I'm going to have to take the, the, the LinkedIn maybe plateauing side. Fair, fair. Fun fact, before we jump in, LinkedIn is older than Facebook. LinkedIn was started in 2002, therefore older than Facebook. But you won, stage two yours. So I think if you look at LinkedIn's growth, they, you know, you're, like you said, they're old on Facebook. It started as a professional network. You go to their logged out homepage. It says, join your professional community. I think LinkedIn has done a fantastic job of moving beyond just the internet resume. That's how it started. It became this place where you threw up your resume. They imported your resume. I don't know if they still have a tool, but you import your resume and you put all of your experience and then you never check it unless you're looking for a job. And I know, you know, initially that was LinkedIn's biggest problem is that it was not a social network. It was just a resume platform. Then they came out with the feed where you can engage a little bit with it. But again, you didn't engage with it unless you were looking for a job. And then they became a social network and they added really cool tools and they added ways for you to share things and engage with people. And it became a, a home and it, it did become the professional homepage for so many people. But 
if I have to take the negative side here, I feel like in chasing growth, they're doing things that will also lead to it not being the professional network and could lead it down the road of Facebook, where Facebook obviously, you know, Facebook's a fantastic platform and we'll totally dig into Facebook another time. But Facebook's biggest problem is that they have 2 billion people on the platform and there aren't that many more people they can add. So if they're looking for user growth, that's a big challenge. So, and the, you know, the, maybe they're going the network of Twitter where you're going to have short updates where, you know, it, it could be a little bit less comfortable for people and it's not a professional community. I've got to say in LinkedIn chasing growth, they're making it much more engaging, but also less fun. You get so many more negative comments, attacking comments, which is surprising that people are willing to say things like that under their own name. Forget attacking. There's like straight up racist hate stuff that people put on their own name, on their own professional profile. So I fear that LinkedIn has allowed some of that stuff to go on. You know, one thing I noticed, which is obviously, I think every listener here supports Ukraine and you know, their struggle for freedom. I noticed that when the, when the war first launched in Ukraine, there were people posting things, uh, you know, the professional pictures holding guns. I believe that LinkedIn does not allow any sort of guns or any sort of not any political expression at all. And when you have that, so yes, almost everyone that's logging into LinkedIn probably agrees with the cause, but LinkedIn has moved the goalpost a little bit. And are we okay with that? I think most people are okay with it if they if they agree with it. But that does move it closer to Facebook, where it becomes more opinionated and more polarized. What do you think? So yeah, I'm, I'm obviously on the other side. I think that LinkedIn has all the equipment it needs to become the next hot social platform beyond professional communities. And we have to differentiate here a little bit. But just to come back to your point about, you know, like like political stuff on LinkedIn. So I think LinkedIn make the, made the conscious choice to not show any political content. And I think that's actually a good choice because which political debate has ever been settled on Twitter? None, right? Which is where you have all the political stuff. How is that ever helpful except for, you know, like Trump, uh, you know, like Kanye West. I mean, what, what more do I have to say, right? So there's a whole lot of stuff going on there. And as we all know, not, not, no, no single debate has ever been settled on the internet. So I don't think that the internet is the best um, point, is the best uh, source for political debates where everybody can participate. I am going to say, though, that I think the internet is the best source of knowledge about political issues. Right? So I'm not saying you should completely ban you know, political stuff, but I don't think that has helped Twitter. Matter of fact, now it's all, it's mostly politics. And what I love about LinkedIn is that it's, you know, it's, it's a very politics-free zone where you can talk about some other stuff. By the way, I also would argue- well, It's not politics-free to... enough. That's what I would say is that you're not going to go, it's not completely a safe space, which is challenging. So now let's say you didn't support the cause that most of your network supported. It's no longer the same comfortable place. Now, does this happen in the workplace? I think it happens less and less where politics is out in the open and people are made to feel uncomfortable. I know that there are people that have minority opinions like, you know, here I'm in Silicon Valley and I think if someone has conservative views, they may not feel as comfortable in the workplace, but I'm pretty certain that if they raised their hand and said, I don't feel comfortable here, there are rules that could say this topic is no longer allowed to be discussed. Or the other way, if someone has extremely liberal views and they're in a conservative workplace and there's an actual HR team that can police these kinds of things, this is no longer comfortable. And I think you can't necessarily control that on a social network. And I do see more and more of that where you can express an opinion. Maybe everyone agrees with the opinion. It goes a little viral but you may not feel as comfortable and say, hey, this isn't a place that I'm hanging out just to learn things and just for my professional community. Again, 
I love LinkedIn, spend a ton of time on LinkedIn, but I do, I do see it going in that edgier direction where there are so many fantastic people in the country of Russia that I know and like and have worked with and, and you know and like and work with some people that companies that used to be based in Russia are no longer there. They don't agree with their government, but there are certainly viewpoints that are all there. When the war first started, there were very anti-Russian people and those were allowed to stay on the platform. So now more of that is happening that is less professional. And that I think, again, if I had to take the negative here, could hurt the growth of the platform. My counter argument would be that LinkedIn is actually one of the platforms that reacts to negative experiences the fastest. When I say negative experience, I mean people figuring out ways to get a lot of attention and then spamming the platform. Do you remember Broems? No. Okay, so Broems, a couple of years ago, that was kind of the thing to get attention on LinkedIn. It was basically, you know, a uh, like a couple of sentences, all one-liners, and they're all... Uh, about this aspirational story, you know, those uh, worked really well for a while. And there were some people, I'm not going to call them out, that, that got a ton of attention and made some money with that. And then LinkedIn learned that users actually hate those broems. And the way that they worked is that the first sentence was really intriguing. Uh, in, in the sense, the purpose was for people to click on read more. And read more was a stronger signal back then at LinkedIn. And the team reacted very fast. And now you don't see any broms anymore. Or if you see them, they don't get a lot of attention, at least not in the way that they used to. So I would argue LinkedIn is actually really fast in uh, changing the algo. And by the way, LinkedIn has also been very open about their algorithm and how they what the parts are and how they prioritize these. So uh, in 2019 and 20, LinkedIn published a couple of blog articles about how the feed works, what the different components are. And I'm going to link them in the show notes so you can take a look. So I think they react pretty fast. Another argument that I would make is actually I get most engagement of my stuff right now on LinkedIn, I get for the same content that I post on Twitter and LinkedIn, I get double as much engagement on LinkedIn. And my last thing that I want to say about this is that Harley, the president of Shopify, also agrees with that. He actually came back to one of my tweets uh, where he showed an example of how much more engagement he gets for the same content on LinkedIn compared to Twitter. So I think the the, the LinkedIn algo is actually very creator friendly. So agreed. I benefit a lot from the LinkedIn algo. I, I get a ton of engagement on LinkedIn posts. I don't get that much engagement on tweets. Certainly, if I put the same thing up, I get much more engagement on LinkedIn. I even get inbound messages, you know, potentially to consult with people or to help people. Like, I love that. I think it's a, a fantastic platform. But I do think there is that part of the LinkedIn algo, which optimizes for engagement. So what they want, again, if you're LinkedIn and you're thinking about how do you continue monetizing, you want more people to spend more time on the platform because they see more advertising and they get more engaged and maybe they subscribe to premium. Now, if I could just give this shout out to premium here. So many people got mad at Elon Musk. He wanted to charge $8 for a verified badge. Pretty much it. That's all you can get for the $8. But LinkedIn charges so much more and all you really get for that is you get to see who peaked at your profile. Like there's very little value in premium unless you're spamming people, unless you're doing sales and you want all those LinkedIn messages. You know, I've had premium years, like for years I had it, then I turned it off and then I got back on. I never used any of those LinkedIn in messages. So the value you get is really you get to see who looks at your profile and LinkedIn can charge, you know, anywhere from like $50 a month to like, you know, $150 a month. And that's what people get out of that. But I would say is LinkedIn does want more engagement. And I do think they allow more of that on the platform than they should. And they turn it down when it gets annoying. Remember polls from last year, like polls were all over the place because you vote on a poll, maybe I don't feel comfortable enough to like something or I don't feel comfortable enough to, to comment on it. 
but it's very easy for me to say, do I like LinkedIn? Yes or no. And they're really the dumbest questions. Like, are you seeing this on LinkedIn? Yes or no. And then people are actually like, I should vote on this. I should say, yes, I don't want to lie. Right. So, and then it creates all that engagement and then you get all these, but then LinkedIn becomes full of polls. Why did LinkedIn not pull that the minute they saw it? And of course you can see that engagement skyrocket because they get more of the creators saying, Hey, I should create more polls. And you get more of the users on there being like, I should vote on more polls. So they, it certainly helped in their engagement stats. Again, if, if that is a metric LinkedIn looks at, that could put them, again, if I had to negative here, going in the direction of Facebook and making it less comfortable. I mean, look at the memes that are propagated on LinkedIn. I don't, those aren't valuable from a professional standpoint, seeing some of these things. But again, they create engagement. People want to comment and say, hey, great find. I love your meme. I didn't learn a single thing or, you know, I, I cried when I saw the meme that really represented the way I felt like, again, useless from a professional standpoint. Why does LinkedIn allow it? Because I think it creates the engagement that they need to keep really continue growing. For sure. For sure. I mean, and I think that's fine, right? Like part of a, of a social platform or a connection platform has to be more engagement over time as a, as a measure of success. The big question is whether that engagement is quote unquote toxic or if it's helpful and if people like it. And my my story is that LinkedIn is actually one of the best platforms to get on top of that quickly. I do agree with the polls, right? They're a bit annoying and they're they're a bit stupid and they're a big, um, uh, a bit you know like ga gaming. Uh, but I also trust LinkedIn that they can get beyond that very quickly. You're back, by the way. Did you notice that? Sorry, the polls are back. The polls are back. They're back. Yep, they were gone last year because they everyone used them and then LinkedIn's like, oh my God, what if we had polls on the platform and people could vote on stuff? We're gonna create engagement. So they're back. Yeah, they're totally back. So what you're saying, Eli, is we should we should run a poll on LinkedIn polls. Let's do a poll today. <laughs> Let's do a poll today. Cool. We hope you all vote. So here's actually my strongest argument about the whole conversation. Um, my take is actually LinkedIn is already there. It's actually not a it's not a it's not a real question. I think they're already there. And I'm saying that um based on the latest quarterly earnings that LinkedIn published. So in the latest quarterly earnings, which are Q4, because LinkedIn's fiscal year is not the calendar year. So actually in July, I think it was uh, reported Q4 earnings. The, the platform is growing and it's growing fast. They already have 850 million members, which is massive. Yeah, Just for uh, comparison, Spotify has 456 million members. So a little more than half. Uh, Netflix has 223 million users. So, uh, you know, LinkedIn already has about four times as many users as Netflix, which is massive. So I would already argue that it's not just a professional community anymore. I think it also it already has some social media and also social network characteristics. Wait, do you know the, the monthly actives on those? Because like people like Mark Zuckerberg have a profile. Barack Obama has a profile. I, I, I can't see Joe Biden dropping updates on, uh, on LinkedIn. Maybe he, Joe Biden walks into meetings and then he's like, I'm going to post a meme. Or, this meeting is so boring. I'm going to post a meme on LinkedIn right now. <laughs> Let's see if he updates his uh, his uh, employer in, in two years. Who knows? Uh, we, we, you made a prediction about that uh, yeah. in, the, in the first episode. Uh, but my counter argument to that would be that actually sessions grew by plus 22% year over year. And LinkedIn called out specifically that they're seeing record engagement on the platform. So my answer to your question would be yes. I think monthly or daily actives are up. But of course, I don't have the exact precise numbers in front of me. Something that's also interesting and why I'm so bullish on LinkedIn as a social platform is... 
because of the monetization, right? LinkedIn is one of the few, maybe the only social network that has diversified revenue streams in a sense that they also make legit money through subscriptions, right? I, I read through this Q4 earnings report. Was oh, really and interesting. it's a SaaS. Don't forget it's a SaaS. From a recruiting standpoint, they can recruiters need this and they pay for it to get in to get data and to hire like yeah i i totally agree with you as a platform linkedin is awesome like they've nailed subscriptions they've nailed SaaS, they've they've nailed advertising however like you said the engagement is up 22 percent. the very fact that they measure that puts them in dangerous territory facebook really really you know they they pushed engagement so much they ran psychological experiments on people again does linkedin go in that direction do they allow things? Politics creates a ton of engagement. Think about you and I, like we post things on LinkedIn, then you go back and check and you're like, wow, this is very engaging. I should do another one of these posts where I should respond to the comments. And if you post something political and you get that debate going, that I think that is addictive. So again, taking the negative side here, I think LinkedIn dipping their toes into territory that they never would have dipped in before. Again, going back to that, that Russia-Ukraine issue, I'm sure most people on the platform agree with it, but what do they do when there's another issue where it's less obvious which side to agree with? Now you've made it less comfortable. Again, from the Russia-Ukraine issue, they probably only made Russians or pro-Russian people feel uncomfortable. Maybe they took a calculated risk, but that's not something LinkedIn ever did before or really like they're going in that, going in that area, I think, leads to dangerous territory for them because you're chasing engagement and that could be a negative for growth of a professional community. I think I think politics are. I, I think it's. A, I think it's a. It's a dangerous area for social networks. And what I like about LinkedIn is to say, look, we we actually don't want any politics on the platforms. Professional network, right? So I think either you allow politics and you deal with the consequences, or you you take it completely off. And to be fair, you know, I think not every social network has to provide the same rules or, or uh, be open to all the same topics. I think it might actually make a lot of sense for there to be a social network that's just about politics, one that's more about memes, one that's more about in-depth conversation. I think we already see that today with Twitter, LinkedIn, Reddit, uh, and a couple of others. So that, that in itself... Well, well, hold on, we should define politics though. So, okay, so I went to the extreme when we talked about Russia and Ukraine. We can get less extreme, you can talk about elections. But how about when you do, again, a different definition of the word politics? God, I don't want to dip our toes into this, but we might have to. Twitter, right? Twitter is a political issue. It's an office political issue. It's a climate political issue. It's an Elon Musk political issue. There is a, a sentiment on LinkedIn, pro or negative on Twitter, but that is a political issue, which is going to make people that don't agree with that opinion feel less comfortable. Now, I think if you went really into the neutral territory, talk about the economy. Is the economy positive or negative? There is Federal Reserve data on that. You don't need to argue it. But if you go into other things, that does that does have political sentiment, and you are going to get different engagement on it. And I think LinkedIn likes that. I think LinkedIn likes people debating things because you come back to agree and disagree, and you vote and you share your own updates. I think again, if I had to take negative, not a great thing for the future of a professional social network. I think it's actually better. I think you mentioned something that that I think is important to to call out, which is like politics at the workplace. How far do you want to take that? How much do you want to allow that or not? And there's probably no great answer. There's some companies that completely forbid talking about politics and that, that saw massive scandals as a result of it. And other companies say everything should be on the table. I, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to come to the right conclusion 
here on the on the podcast. And I think this should probably be be left to like uh, you know, social scientists or people who can really understand the implications of that and and who deal with this all the time. I think there's one important piece here that we need to take into account, which is that LinkedIn forces real names, right? You tie your identity and your social profile to your name and two different employers. And I think in the context of a social network, that is actually an asset because it's not the only social network out there. There are alternatives where you can talk anonymously. And at the same time, I think it generally decreases the amount of people who are trolling or, or, or spreading hateful uh, language and all that kind of stuff. Now, you mentioned a couple of things in the or examples in the beginning. Um, I, I'm not saying it's, it doesn't exist at all on LinkedIn, but I think that and spam activities on LinkedIn are much, much less than on other social networks. And I do understand that there are a lot of DMs where people try to sell you some stuff. That's not what I'm talking about, but the actual hardcore, like how much Bitcoin spam have you seen on LinkedIn? I've, I've seen none, but I've seen my, my Facebook inbox is full. My Twitter inbox is full of that kind of stuff. So it's a tiny, it's a tiny. You need to grow your D. Yeah, you need to get more messages. I definitely have been <laughs> coins in my DMs. Gosh, yeah, maybe maybe it's a, it's a mute problem. But yeah, less so in comments. I do think that if you report comments and they're straight spam comments, I think that spammers are, are pretty smart when it comes to LinkedIn. I've fallen for it, you know, when it comes to link building. So like someone will add me and, you know, they'll, they'll say like, you know, they have a real job at a real company. I'll look at their profile. It looks real. They're like, oh, this is a real person. I don't mind accepting this, even though I have no idea who they are. And I accept it. And then like, 10 seconds later, it's like, do you want to buy a guest post? I'm like, you put a lot of effort in this fake profile here. Yes, yes. I would say th there's spam on LinkedIn, but there are no scams on LinkedIn. And I would say there are definitely scams on Twitter and Facebook. Again, I take a full take into account that this might just be my experience, uh, but that's that's kind of my impression. Uh, I would say let's let's wrap this one up. Uh, do you wanna you wanna start with your with the summary of your arguments? So th this wouldn't be my first thought, but you forced me into contrarian opinion here, and you know we we prepped on this. I do think that LinkedIn has jumped the shark when it comes to engagement, and that could make it a less comfortable place. And that could open them up to a competitor. So I think in a few years, we will see a different professional social network. Again, with LinkedIn, you have all these people trying to start new Twitters. I think someone's going to start a new LinkedIn. And that will be a challenge for the current LinkedIn because there's probably only one place that people are going to consider the professional home on the internet. Fair, fair, cool. My, my contrary opinion is that LinkedIn is already a big successful social network beyond just professional communities i think it's the best place right now to get engagement when it comes to textual content this distinction is super important to me i think you know tiktok is probably or youtube shorts are the best for video content maybe instagram for images but i think uh, linkedin is the best place to get um, engagement and attention for textual content i think they're already a massive behemoth they are on top of their algorithm i think they make changes very quickly and that's why i think that LinkedIn is here to stay. I think they're going to be massively successful. My prediction is that next year, they're going to cross 1 billion users. They're at 850 right now. And then probably the next five years, maybe maybe five years, 1.5 billion users. That's my um, that's my personal take. Also, a big thanks to all the people who came back on Twitter and LinkedIn to my questions. Uh, we're going to feature some of those in the email. It was super insightful. 
Uh, and uh, let's let's actually finish up with some resources. So, uh, Eli, what what book, course, video would you re recommend for people to to read or watch or listen to uh, in the context of our question today? So, I actually think we owe some people some growth tips because we we talked about LinkedIn and we spent a lot of time thinking about it. My biggest growth tip is it you know in, in watching LinkedIn and looking at how they're measuring engagement, they really want this engagement. So, what you need to do is indicate to the LinkedIn that you will have engagement, and this is a good bet. And I've seen this over and over when I post something, it's all about the velocity of engagement. So if you post something, I don't think there's a hard rule about you can only post it at 2 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays. There used to be rules like that because that was when the engagement happened. Post things when you know that your own social network is going to be posting things. One thing I've noticed on LinkedIn last month is when you reshare something in the past, it died. No, no one looked at it. But now when you repost something, they call it repost instead of reshare, it gets engagement like you've shared it. So if you have powerful people with big networks, ask them to repost something for you. Again, if you're, at an, if you're at work and you're posting something for work, get everyone to repost something when there's engagement. So if you get that earlier engagement, LinkedIn will feed you more impressions and that engagement continues, the engagement will, the velocity of impressions will grow. But as soon as it dies off, it'll disappear. So again, provided you're posting something real, it's not cheating to say, hey, can you like this? Not don't do the same person every time. Can you like this? Can you repost it for me? It'll help feed the algorithm. You'll get more impressions and more real people can go and do this. We're not gaming it, but I, I, that's what I recommend. Post things when you know people are going to be engaging with your content and it gets a better chance. Love that. Love that. Plus one to that. My growth tip would be um, to actually keyword stuff your descriptions. <laughs> uh, surprise, but uh, that still works pretty well. On on your profile, you have a, a I think it's called a description uh, of what you do and so on. And uh, if you if you check mine out, uh, my my profile is uh, keyword stuffed with tons of stuff um, at the very bottom. So I wouldn't I wouldn't make that super obvious, but that seems to be a signal to the algorithm. So I have stuff in there like SEO, web analytics, uh, link building, content marketing, and all that other stuff. And that seems. Maybe link brother, can I get some DA eighty guest posts? <laughs> Maybe Eli. Maybe depends on how much you can pay, but yeah, that's my very simple and straightforward trick. Um, SEO from 2005 says hi, and I think, uh, <laughs> I think we still got some resources to share. Uh, I'm just gonna jump ahead here, I'll probably get some flag for that, but you know, it's, it's fine. My resource of this week is Crush It by Gary Vee, uh, a book that um describes you know, like how to build your personal brand on social media and how to kind of conduct yourself in a way that you get more attention. I know Gary Vee is very controversial, but I think there's some gems in this book that are actually uh, really good to know. And so that's my resource of the week, Eli. So there's a book called The Startup of You, published in 2012 with Reid Hoffman and Ben Kaznocha. Reid Hoffman, of course, is the founder of LinkedIn. So I love reading books by the founders of companies that I use because you get like their initial view of how they built this platform. Startup of You, obviously is 10 years old now. LinkedIn has changed significantly since then, but I still love the concept of really thinking about your career as if you're the startup. Like how do you grow yourself as if you're a company? So check out that book. Uh, again, 10 years old when it comes to career advice, so it may not be completely up to date. 10 years old when it comes to thinking about how LinkedIn was started and, and grown and obviously written before Microsoft acquired LinkedIn. However, it uh, gives great background on what they intended when they built LinkedIn and, and how you can build your own, again, career as if you are a company. Eli, thanks for this uh, healthy contrarian debate. Uh, I think we got a good start. You're on the wrong side here. Like, what if you know, LinkedIn's going to come after me and say we, we we crossed a billion users? Actually, on your uh, billion users, 
LinkedIn's biggest challenge is that they need to get into different countries. So once, like obviously America, they have significant penetration. The In Europe, they have significant penetration. I think they struggle in China, right? So like you unlock China, a lot more growth. That is that is LinkedIn's challenge. So to your billion, I, I probably agree with you, they'll get to a billion. To two billion, I'm not on board. Tricky. I think they made a conscious decision to actually move out of China yes. uh, at some point. So uh, we'll come back to this next year and see uh, if I got it right or wrong. But uh, Eli, thanks for that healthy debate. Some good contrarian opinions in here. I hope that was useful to you. And we'll hear you next week. And now it's your turn. Head over to contrarianmarketingpodcast.com and subscribe to the free weekly newsletter to get a summary of today's episode, key takeaways, and community content. And while you're there, go to today's episode and leave your opinion in the comments. We'll feature the best thoughts in the newsletter and on the podcast. Also, if you like today's episode, please feel free to leave five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks so much for tuning in and here next week.